Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center. It is a center of excellence where we bring together faculty and leading product managers and aspiring product managers. And what we're trying to do is simple, make the world better. And we think product managers are just the people uh, to make the world better because you prioritize innovations, and you could prioritize innovations for the few or you could prioritize innovations that affect and improve lives universally. And so we're grateful to have conversations every single week here on how to succeed in product management, trying to make sure that knowledge is accessible and that the conversations we have are inclusive. And we're going to have an inclusive conversation. Raise your hand if you want to hop on stage, because we're missing both of our guests. We're at the time where we would welcome you if you want to join us. But Sumeya, why don't we start a little bit about yourself. Tell us quickly who you are in case this is their first time listening to you. Oh, this is the boring part of the show. I promise everyone it gets better after this. <laughs> I'm Sumeya Binganam. I've been in the product management or technology world for almost 20 years. Started as an engineer, uh, did CS in, in college, and it feels like a long time ago. And since then, I've worked for large enterprises and startups building software, some of it enterprise, some of it consumer-facing. Interestingly enough, this week I started a, a big project that has an intersection of software and hardware. I never had to do that before. So you know the price tags, or not the price tags, the signs you see on items in retail shelves that show you prices? That's a new project for me, or product for me. I know I'm going to learn so much. So despite having done this for a long time. I'm so excited about learning about, you know, when you bring two worlds that are so different, what can go well and what can go wrong. <laughs> so that's something about me. All right. Thank you, Samaya. And what could go wrong? Two guests not showing up on the same day. <laughs> but what can we go right? Having a team uh, that is willing to adapt and pick up what needs to be picked up. Which brings me to my first question, Sumeya. What does this moment right now translate? What do you advise for product teams that have unexpected hiccups or team members not doing what they thought? How do you approach that as a product leader? Yeah, a couple of things. Go back to the basics. Ask the question of why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the goal? What are the outcomes we're looking for? Then look at the things you have, the resources, the people, the budget that you have and adjust it or work with it to get towards those goals and outcomes. So in this scenario, for us in this show, we have a couple of purposes. One is to make product management accessible to people through conversations, and two, build community. And so those two outcomes are achievable by us being here, by us 
engaging with everyone here and asking everyone here to join us on stage if they would like to. Or we can just talk about things we've learned recently about product management and just continue enriching the community with that kind of information. So I just always like to go back to basics. What is our purpose? What is the goal? And how can we achieve that with what we have today? That is awesome, Samantha. I love, you know, somebody once nicknamed you Alexa because you've got an answer for everything. And I don't just choose Alexa because Amazon is a sponsor on the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator and the Inclusive Product Management Summit, but because that's what somebody else did. So you could also be Google Home. I don't know how, how accurate their answers are or not. There's no... No judgment on any of that. Anyway, so excellent. So are you familiar, Sumeya, with a process that's called effectuation, which is a little bit different than how many people think about where innovations and ideas come from? No, tell me more. It's actually awesome because effectuation is very similar to what you said, and I might mess this up, but typically a product manager or product leader will, will say, hey, this is the outcome I want to achieve. And then let me think about the best path to achieve it. And often it'll be like, I want to, to make a billion dollars or, you know, I want to make a certain revenue or have a certain engagement. And they start with a goal and think about the best way to achieve it. They'll think about the best way to achieve it and they'll get the resources that they need. So they'll be like, hey, I'm going to achieve this outcome. Give me this headcount of engineers. Give me this number of people uh, to help make this vision a reality. Effectuation instead starts with what you have and thinks about what is the best thing that you could make with what you have and then keep learning uh, along the way. A thing is not the scientific term. I'm kind of messing it up. But effectuation starts with what you have, a little bit of a purpose, but not so much of, hey, I'm going to make this much money and I'm going to get the resources I need to be able to build what will help me do that. But instead, here's the resources that I have, see what starts to work, and then double down on what works and, and continue to go that way. I love that, Jeff. I, and now, I like, now when I open the fridge and I'm like, oh, I have you know, celery, carrots, and chicken, this is what they can make. I'll think about it. This is the effectuation process. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the, that's exactly the analogy that people give. So very often what, what people will do is say, I'm going to make a certain meal and they'll find a recipe to make that meal, which is the equivalent of like, hey, this is kind of the product I want to build. And then they'll go shopping for the ingredients that will make the recipe, which is the equivalent of, okay, let me shop for the resources and get the people and technology that I need to be able to execute on this idea. And then they make that thing and that they make that meal. Whereas effectuation says, hey, look in the fridge and say, hey, I'm starting with the outcome of I want to make people happy. I want to make a, a delicious meal, but I'm going to do that based off of what I have rather than kind of, hey, this is the way I'm going to make them happy and this is what I need to be able to do that. But uh, I, and th- I love that because it's a company, like I think the two are a combination of real life. It's hard to find situations that are purely one or the other. Yeah. And, you know? and they say that effectuation is a creative process that could lead to whole outside the box ideas versus, you know, sometimes the other approach is obviously more appropriate, but it kind of limits a little bit of your creativity sometimes when you start with the end and work your way backwards rather than start with the beginning, which is this is what I have. Let's do something magic. So have you seen effectuation 
in the workplace. Have you seen a team utilize effectuation as I've described it, probably less perfectly than the experts who created that idea, but have you seen that in the workplace? Yes, and I'll tell you the exact scenario where I have seen it happen again and again and again. Usually when you have a team that's trying to do agile within a waterfall model, in a waterfall model, at least in large corporations, they assign the budget you know, on an annual basis, they say, hey, for this project, you have to get it done by the end of the year, and you have a couple of million dollars for that time period. And so then it's up to the team to figure out how to arrive at that outcome. That estimate of $2 million over this time period is truly a very inaccurate estimate because we have to do corporate planning, of course, and financial planning. So you end up sometimes overshooting, sometimes undershooting. It's, it's really inaccurate. 90% of the time, estimates inaccurate. And so I think what you end up doing, especially if the whole corporation is waterfall and the team is trying to do a true agile to it, agile or lean agile, they end up doing effectuation in effect. Awesome. And so I'm going to, I'm going to share now that I've pulled up the, while you were talking, I was able to pull up the resource that where the ex, like the people who are in this full time effectuation.org. That's E-F-F-E-C-T-U-A-T-I-O-N. Org. These are researchers, they've studied entrepreneurs from major companies and found that many of them who found success did so through an effectuation process. So one of the things is this bird in a hand principle. And Sumaya, if it's cool with you, I want to kind of share these principles and you could maybe bring them to life with some of your experiences or tell us when that's a disaster, like why and when that wouldn't work. But so a bird in the hand principle is, again, starting with their means, taking that time to say, and this could be individually or the team that you already have in place, but who am I? What do I know? Who do I know? And then start imagining the possibilities that can originate from those means. So I think we already discussed that a little bit with the recipe, but as I read that again from effectuation.org, I'm curious if there's any process that you've done to do specifically just that. Hmm. And the question they ask, can you repeat that one one more time? We typically talk about like go out to the customer, right? Find out where what their problem is and work backwards from the customer. And effectuation keeps the customer in mind, but but the start really is who am I? What do I know? Who do I know? And then start thinking about the possibilities of what problems could I solve or what could I do based off of what I have within my own means. Yeah. When we talk about go to the customer and ask those questions, I, I think there is there is an element of like small iterations in it. Think about, for example, COVID when it started. There were a lot of people learning about it, learning about what is this virus, what is going on with it. But then there were also these researchers who who were saying, oh, we know about mRNA. Let's see if there is something we can do with this science that we know a lot about based on all this research that someone else did. So they might not have necessarily talked to any people. I mean, I'm making some assumptions here. I just want to use this example because I think there are some big problems that people try to solve without talking to people about them. You know, going to space. Who are you really talking to? You're trying to, like, it's more of this visionary thing 
a big problem that society is facing and you're trying to achieve it. And then as you come up with a hypothesis around the solution, then you start talking to people. How do they feel about that solution? You know, how are they going to deal with it? So I, I can see how this approach can work sometimes, for sure. All right. So actually, you led into the next great part. The next, I don't know about great part. I'm not trying to put uh, judgment on it. The lemonade principle, which is what you're kind of touching at the end with this effectuation, instead of making what if scenarios. So it's like, what do I do in this case? What do I do in that case? Effectuation, you interpret bad news and surprises as potential clues to create new markets. So instead of kind of this contingency planning and this worst case scenarios, you build with what you've got with some sort of purpose and then take bad news as a clue that could potentially create new markets. Anything that that relates to your experience? Hmm. You know, the thing with the, all these principles and including, you know, when we talk in UCD about go talk to the customer, it's all about the the point of view or what side of the coin you're looking at. Because sometimes you yourself could be experiencing an issue and you have an insight that is shared by a substantial number of the market and you don't need necessarily to talk to anyone. I, I, I work with startup founders and I have invested with startup founders who talk to me about an idea. And yes, they talk to five other people, potential customers about it, and that's it. Does that mean they're going to end up with a multi-million dollar business? I don't know. It's a risk. <laughs> but I'm saying this to say, this is why I can't be dogmatic about anything, because every problem has an appropriate solution. And that solution can also change based on the people solving it. Because we as humans come at problems with different insights. And this is another reason why diversity is so important. Because you might not talk to anyone who experiences one problem, but because of something you experienced in your childhood, you're going to look at it from an angle no one else is looking at it. So I gave you a non-answer, but this is just my perspective on this specific principle. Yeah, I think this kind of ties down to just having um, like just a learning mindset and a growth mindset and realizing that any failure is an opportunity to create a solution that is big. And so, yeah, that's my impression of it, that instead of like trying to avoid failure, that you welcome some bad news as an opportunity to learn, to grow and, and build that next big thing based off of uh, the resources that, that you have available. Jeff, so it reminded me of something that David Land says. He talks about business models. He's an author and a great person to just listen to. He actually doesn't like using the word failure because even though I'm going to use the word failure, he treats every upper, every situation as a learning situation. And the only time you're failing truly is if you go do something, you don't know why you're doing it and you don't know what lesson you got out of it. So you just reminded me of that. Yes, I love it. Testing business ideas from David Bland. Check out the book or call him in as a consultant. He's done some excellent work. I want to move on in a little bit, but I just want to exhaust two more of these principles because I, I think they tie to some of the things that you've talked about before, and I, I love your perspective on them. So one of the other principles of effectuation is that when you do effectuation, in, instead of focusing on what you hope to gain and focusing on that part, you really have what's called the affordable loss principle, where you decide what you're willing to lose. 
So you're willing to lose this in pursuit of something, uh, whatever that something is. It could be some sort of high-minded goal for the consumer or for the business. But instead of focusing on what you're hoping to gain, I don't know about focus, but you, you commit and say, I'm willing to lose this much and, and do the best I can to drive decisions. So any thoughts on the affordable loss principle and, and how you've either seen it work in practice? Or- yeah, this one, I'm just going to say behind the idea of big bets, for most corporations, when we're talking about moonshots, is that estimation. If it's truly a a good moonshot, or if it's truly a moonshot, it means that the risk-reward equation, uh, it's 50-50 or even less sometimes. Otherwise, it's a sure thing, and it doesn't fit into that category necessarily. But I think that's how corporations have tried to to create a category of saying, hey, this is part of our R&D or part of things that we want to do for the future. And they mostly start with questions and really not a lot of uh, hypotheses around the answers. And they put teams on them with a budget that they might end up losing all of that budget if you were going to tie it directly to you know an outcome that you had in mind. However, what they get out of it sometimes are patent and knowledge that's invaluable. But at least in my experience, this is how I have seen it done at scale. And then if you bring it down to your product, I think, especially if you're working on something new, in the early discovery and framing stage, some of that budget is truly, you know, under the willing to lose it, but we'll learn so much as a result too. ABC. That's what I tell my students at the Foster School of Business. Always be learning. I try to emphasize that as as much as I can. And so this last principle I want to talk about, and then we can Jeff, move on to... Hold on, sorry. What? You said ABC. I, oh, ABL. Uh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I am <laughs> like closing. We're yes, always be closing. <laughs> ABL. Oh, man. And this is recorded for all to oh, hear. God. Uh, that I cannot spell. God. What was that? Just... Uh, <laughs> I know I have laryngitis right now, but I broke when you said that. Oh, man. A-B-L. Always be learning. You know, uh, I thought you did it on purpose because that's just totally classic Jeff. Samantha. It could have been. Yeah. It could have been. I have to tell you, this is I shouldn't be documented and recorded forever, but in all honesty, ever since I had COVID back in early May, there's just like little things that my brain just cannot do as well as it used to. I don't know if anybody else is experiencing that as well, but I'm going to use that excuse for for sure. Well, Jeff, in case um, you forget, just remember, always be closing. That's it. Yes. And ABL. ABL, which is not as clever and like good to remember, but ABL, always be learning. And we're going to... We're going to move on. <laughs> we can also uh, redefine closing for product managers as the learning process. There, so. there we go. <laughs> Confuse them even more. Take exactly. a, a well-known three letters <laughs> or take the, the letter of the word different meaning differently. Yes. Closing means learning. Speaking of learning, the other principle, pilot in the plane principle is what the, the people who coined the term effectuation, this principle. You know, typically product managers are really focused on prediction. So focused on if I do this, what do I think is going to happen and, and trying to find the data to predict, okay, these customers will love it. They will do, they will use it whatever I predict will happen. And effectuation says to stop spending so much time with prediction and to recognize that the uncertainty is opportunity. And so you effectual the effectuation process has this belief that the future is neither found nor predicted, but made. 
And I'm curious what you think about that, Sumeya, in terms of when is prediction important and when is it okay to do kind of this affordable loss? I'm going to try my best. Uh, I'm going to learn from it and keep moving with the resources I have until I get to that big outcome that I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, it's all about the time horizon. Let me use <laughs> the dinner example here. <laughs> if I start cooking and within half an hour or like before 30 minutes before uh, the kids are ready to eat, I, I find out that what I was making is no good and order something from Uber Eats, then we're good. <laughs> but <laughs> if, if it's like I go overtime, it's 30 minutes after they're ready to eat, they're waiting, they're hungry, they're cranky, and I'm still trying to make this thing work, then eh, lesson learned there. Don't do this again. <laughs> Just order from Uber Eats. So, <laughs> no, I, in all serious, seriousness, I think with a lot of these principles, I think time horizon is an extremely important part of the equation. So, for example, within products management, if you're talking about, you know, one single sprint that you're going to dedicate to learning and estimation doesn't need to be part of it, that's fine. But if you are especially a public company with revenue targets that you need to meet, otherwise your investors and shareholders are going to be, you know, you're going to be responsible essentially by not doing the right thing and by not generating some sort of estimate that then you work towards, then I think there is something there that needs to be examined some more. Maybe you need to make the commitment to the shareholders as an important outcome. I, I mean, we're splitting hairs here, but to me at least, this principle is all about time horizon. All right. So, Effectuation, again, effectuation.org is where you could read all about the academic research on the topic and read more about those principles. But it is one way in which entrepreneurs can imagine a future that doesn't exist. As Sumeya, as you said, instead of making incremental changes, imagining a whole new world based off of the resources you have at the start, the failures that you have as you're doing your walk, and the, the learning that you get at each step of the way, being willing to make some bets and hope that they pay off at each step. So I want to hear from you about other creativity prompts or other processes that you use to Imagine a future that doesn't exist to get your team to think outside the box, outside of incremental change, and discover a whole new future that may or may not be effectuation as yeah. a process. So I think if we're talking within a corporate environment, there are a couple of things that we do, you know, a couple of times of the of the year where we get together as a team and do some ideation exercises, facilitated sessions where we work on something completely unrelated that can be a source of learning of maybe something that can become related. But I actually don't want to even talk about those because they're so infrequent. And there are facilitators out there that anyone can hire and bring them on to help them with that. What I want to talk about is the stuff you do with your product team that actually can happen maybe twice every quarter or more often than that. And, and those to me are the ones worth a lot of time. And we can go talk about the annual stuff in a second too. But the one I'm talking about is basically, well, product teams are working. 
they're converging around something. So think of them, everyone on the team is focusing their effort, they're working towards something, this one goal, they're working on one set of problems or one set of solutions, you have a rhythm, everyone is working. So there is convergence. But what happens a lot of times with convergence is we get blinders on and maybe you start feeling some momentum is going away. People are getting bored because it just becomes trite and, you know, projects work. So what you need to do as a product manager, and this is an art less than a science, is you get a feeling just uh, the team is losing a little bit of the steam, is you create a divergence event. And in the divergence event, it could be, basically one single sprint or one single day or a couple of sprints or one month of the team actually picking a brand new problem they have not worked on at all. Or it could be, you know, something that has happened with a competitor that your team wasn't paying attention to and swarming or bringing the whole team to work on it. So basically picking up something different that's related to your problem space or your product to work on for a little bit of time. So in this case, you're diverging and then going back and either changing your plan to incorporate some of what you learned into it and the team letting them start on this new phase or going back to what the team was working on before. And what you will find is they have a lot more energy. They're approaching the problems a little differently because they've learned something else and they looked at a future or a different set of problems that will inform what they're working on. So that's something I like to do a lot with the team is just whenever we converge too much is create a divergence event. Very cool. Now I want to turn it to Red to suffer through. You've got a different uh, magic than I do. Do you want to get people involved in today's conversation and let them know how? Well, to be fair, for those who are just listening in halfway through, or I don't know if you started a podcast halfway through, but uh, when Jeff regards my suffering, he's only referring to the fact that I have laryngitis. And while most people who have laryngitis could be barely audible, I am so loud on a regular basis, Jeff, that my laryngitis just puts me at around 50%. So with that in mind, how do you get involved? Well, to start, there is a Slack group that is a place where you can join to see events, not post jobs, but rather find great talent that you can connect with and learn from each other how you can rise up in the community of product managers, or better yet, if you have questions as an aspiring product manager and want to reach out to those we've had on past shows, you can find them right there in that Slack. If you'd like to join, please find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, throw facts my way, whatever it is you need to do. And Jeff, every single day I get pinged, please, can I join this Slack community? We have nothing to gain and only everything to prove in terms of creating value for the community. So please let us know we can help you. As it relates to right now, for those who are here in this moment, we have the opportunity for you to ask questions. So start to raise your hands. At the beginning of this show, we asked everyone if they had questions around payments, but as Jeff and Samea recognized, we had to well iterate from our current topic of the day. And now we're shifting generally into what would be good things where we can help you as it relates to what we've been discussing for the last 15 minutes. And if you're just joining now, fear not. There's this little chat bubble in the bottom left. Throw your questions there. If it makes sense, we'll dive in on them. If we need to break them down and maybe do a little bit of more clarifying, we're happy to do that. And if you want to jump on stage, be a fearless leader. 
come on up, either add to the topic or better yet, have a question. We love questions. We thrive on questions because we want you to walk away with value. So with that in mind, Jeff, if that is considered suffering, well, then tie me down and say that's the rest of my life because I will love every moment of that. Yes, you amaze me, man. <laughs> love it. So we have Kunal here. Kunal, we were talking about creativity prompts and how to imagine a future that doesn't exist and align your team to learn and succeed through that process. So I want you to first just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into some specific questions while Red anxiously awaits his moment to engage the audience. Hey, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Red. Hi, Samaya. Great to see you all. I'm a technical program manager working at Stripe, which is a fintech company. I'm based in Seattle. I've joined at the beginning of this year, learning a lot about the payment space the payment in and out and uh, how the fintech works. I essentially work in the core technology, which powers a lot of the core financial services built by Stripe for our merchants. And I'm happy to share my perspective on the any question you may have. And uh, before that, I was working in Azure, core Azure, focus, uh, and I had a background in computer science engineering. I think that's pretty much it. It's been quite a beautiful weather in Seattle. So I'm looking forward to spend that time with you all by answering some good questions. All right. So uh, again, if anybody has questions, uh, raise your hand, hop up on stage, and Red will uh, keep this show moving along. Uh, but until then, I'm curious for Kunal or Sumeya, in in these kind of I don't know I don't know if it's regulated industries or just high stakes industries. How much? Can we do, whether it's effectuation or some other creative imagining a future that doesn't exist, how much leeway do we have for these groundbreaking changes? And how much leeway do we have within larger organizations? Like, would you not? Yeah, so I'll I'll leave it at that. And then I could add a follow-up question. But how much leeway do we have in these regulated or kind of risky or just, yeah, these kind of products? Sumeya or Kunal? I cannot. <laughs> Kuna, I was gonna say, did you get a chance to hear about effectuation? We, I, I learned about it for the first time today, so I don't know if you got a chance to. About the fluctuation, fluctuation, what? Oh no, effectuation. See, Jeff. Oh, it's... oh, effectuation. We're here to educate. No, not really. Not uh, really. It's a process. It, it. We don't need to go back into it, but it's just one way by which entrepreneurs have, have been shown to a, a mindset and a process by which entrepreneurs have been known to find and imagine a future that doesn't exist. And so my question is, in payments and in you know these regulated industries or high-risk industries, how much leeway do product teams have to truly imagine a future that doesn't exist versus iterating? Are they kind of forced by regulations or by pressures to incremental changes? So from my experience uh, here at Stripe and even before Azure, I think if an industry, like, a, like take an example of financial services, it's a regulated industry and depends on which geography we are at. If you're in US, the US has an industry specific regulation. If you go into EU, you might have a country specific regulations. And I think the first thing, whatever innovation we are building has to meet the security compliance bar and the standards, which has been set by the industry. At the same time, any innovation starts from who are the customers 
for what we are building what what are the challenges they are having what are the pain points they are having for the stripe i feel like they able to make a mark in the payment industry especially for the businesses who are building online and who are selling services online or goods online how can they have a different payment models and how easy for them is to integrate these payment options for their user for their end user right so i think i believe their product is quite innovative through what they they did is build api a set of apis which can be easily geared toward the developer which can be easily integrated in the online e-commerce business so or if you're building a saas or if you're building a marketplace which will then accept the payment as a method and then bring the money in then integrate with the card network or the banking partners and in this whole process so the your end so that you if you're, you're building a online e-commerce store you don't have to spend that much time in building the payment infrastructure because that itself is very very it might sound easy but it's not really easy it's quite complex so i think taking that complexity away from your core business where you just focus on selling the goods and the services to your user you you spend that time building the relationship while this complexity is taken care of is taken or delegated through this api and then while stripe when they take care of this they promise to the merchant that we are following the right set of regulation which is like in the financial we have pci standards at the payment standard which are set by the government so that is one area where you can innovate where the let's say the technology is evolving where the people don't have to take care of these standards so they can if somebody comes and then take care of these standards on behalf of them they would love to integrate did i answer that question jeff yeah and i think you gave a good starting point as well for sumeya to chime in with any additional thoughts on how much leeway do regulated industries or high risk industries have to imagine a future that doesn't exist yeah yeah sorry you know part of me Jeff isn't just so I'm clear because this is my first encounter with effectuation um isn't part of it the constraints that you're dealing with basically you take that into account yeah. more so than so yep. so regu- regulations are just one other constraint <laughs> i guess to worry about you know when i think about payment providers or pharmaceutical companies i worked within financial services and healthcare i think a lot of people use regulation as an excuse and then you see these nimble startups come and do things differently and it's partially just because they can do things a little faster but also because they see a small opportunity that the big players don't don't see as much so is regulation the reason why people don't innovate i think there is a thin line there daniel kahneman other economists have written about this and th- th- i'm sure there are arguments for both why that's true or not but i don't know jeff i i think if effectuation is when you succeed with a lot of constraints or some constraints placed on you then definitely i agree with you that regulation is such a constraint 
Sumeya, you're awesome. Like I could read to you an effectuation principle that scholars have done and studied, and then instantly <laughs> you're like, well, isn't constraints one of the things you're supposed to look at uh, within that process? So you truly are, I told you I can't <laughs> can't think so clearly today. There's, there's a superlative that I'm bestowing upon you, and I don't know what it is. So good work. All right. So Kunal, I'm curious if, if you have any processes or ways that you have been exposed to or shared with your team that helps bring out creativity? Any prompts that help your team think outside the box and and move towards a a new future rather than uh, the same future that's better on some preset uh, metrics? I think we have sometimes, like, so so I think I believe working with the engineering team and I'm also with a part of the engineering team, one can, one should set the culture where anybody is free to come up with an idea anytime, wherever they see problem, right, which is faced by the customer, and they should be able to highlight the problem, and they should should be able to write down what are the possible solutions are, right, and able to easily share with the team at any point in time. There should not be a dedicated offsite, but at the same time, we do have like these markers at during the uh, iteration of the planning, then we do solicit ideas or the new ideas how to deliver this thing. Like this is a big challenge and we can see our current existing solutions are not working out for our customers. So are we going to continue to iterate or shall we just reimagine this whole space altogether? And in that way, when we look at how do we reimagine, we can like look at there's a framework where we can see, okay, how this problem is being solved in the industry by others, right? How are the, in the market, out, how others are solving this problem, others in terms of your com- the competitive, competitors are approaching this problem. What are the unique salient points they are bringing? What are their perspective, differentiated point of views? And then we as a team can learn from them how the technology is evolving in this space. Like earlier when we build the solution, we may not have access to that technology but now technology is evolving with the newer set of stack can we now unlock the more values and i'll share an example in azure you know we were it's a technical example we were using a network-based attached storage solution not in azure but in my previous team to store some important files which were accessed across the company but that, that was not able to scale, meet the scale-out needs of a growing customer base, developer base. And every other day, there were some challenges, some problems. The access was down or they were not able to access this file. And I think when I joined the team back in 2015, the first project I did was, okay, how do we get out of this problem space? And I reached out to the Azure Blob Storage, which is a cloud-based solution, a totally different model of accessing these files that would require the change from the technology stack from our side, from my engineering side, plus our customer side. And I think I able to wrote down the one pager quickly, the problem, the challenges, the solution, and this is a new technology which we should take a bet on and why we should take a bet on, what value does it provide to our customer. And then once we pre- I presented the idea to my team, engineering team and to the leadership, they, they like it, they have certain reservations, certain questions, the open questions, which we don't have the answers to, and that's okay. At the beginning, any ideas, people may not have the full clear picture, 
and then that gives me a little time to go and sit down with the team get answers to those open questions and then come back with a much clear digital plan and then get the sign off and once we get the sign off we able to start working out with the pilot set of customers and then once they able to start using the solution and start getting the value out of it release this business case studies examples both uh, for the people to read in the shipped email as well as tech talk where our other developer audience can come in listen and learn and now start also leveraging the same value which we have just provided to one customers so this is one example i was sharing like how in this case the technology evolved and with that new technology we actually able to reinvent the space for our customers Awesome. I appreciate the example. And yeah, there's a book from Google Design Ventures and they they call that process the product remix uh, where you take some time to not have to to realize that somebody else has might have solved a similar problem either in a different industry or uh, in a different context and instead of rebuilding the wheel, thinking through how you could apply and remix what somebody else has done to solve the same problem. Sumeya, I want to hear from you. Any other creativity prompts or any other ways that you're able to help your team imagine a future that doesn't exist and build build tomorrow instead of just improvements on what we have today? Yeah, I'm not going to be original here. <laughs> I, rarely I am. But there is a letter from Jeff Bezos, a shareholder letter in 2017. I encourage everyone to read. It's the day two letter, as it's known in uh, the lexicon. But basically, in the letter, he talks about, you know, day one, it's a startup, it's vibrant, there's so much momentum, things are being innovated on and created. And day two are these lumbering companies, or if you think about it within a product team, they're just, you know, pumping out features. Uh, everyone wants to be that startup. No one wants to just be building features or just be lumbering around. And so Bezos, in Bezos fashion, said it's not a simple answer. <laughs> but then he goes and lists uh, four things that sound simple, maybe, when you write them down. But I think they require a lot of work. So the first thing, of course, is customer obsession. And, you know, when we talk about effectuation, I don't think this is opposite of what effectuation is, because there are three other things that where effectuation can show up. The second one is skeptical view of proxies, and that's, you know, people with authority, etc. And then the third one is an eager adoption of external trends. So similar to what Kunal said about watching what's going on in the market, understanding what the trends are, where customers are starting to, to go. And then the last one, is high velocity decision making. I know that Bezos was talking about this within a whole corporate structure, but product teams, especially if they have some autonomy, can do this on their own. You Within your bubble, if you have autonomy over some of your funding or the kind of features you can work on, and your company at the very, very, very least believes in customer centricity, then the rest I believe you can do. So yeah, so that's my answer, Jeff, is the Bezos 2017 letter. <laughs> All right, that wasn't awkward silence. I just couldn't press the unmute button. So I think it's time for concluding thoughts. Uh, Kunal, thanks for hopping on here for a little bit. And we ended up choosing the topic of 
imagining a future that doesn't exist, creativity prompts, and just really thinking outside the box. Uh, we spent the first half hour talking about what's called effectuation. Instead of focusing on what you want to achieve and aligning the resources to try to achieve it and really trying to predict what you will succeed, what you will achieve, focusing first on what you have and what resources and constraints and making some acceptable losses, put what you're willing to bet on the future and then uh, learn. And uh, the, the analogy was starting with a food order and, and a recipe and then getting the ingredients or effectuation is starting with what you have in the fridge and making something tasty. So that's what we talked about. And I just want to give chance for everybody here to give concluding thoughts on, you know, aligning teams to be creative and building a future that doesn't exist. So Kunal, I'll put you on the spot if that's all right with you to just share some concluding thoughts on that topic. I think, uh, sorry for joining late. I was at office today and running, had a meeting. So, but yes, I think the first thing, start from a culture, right? I think in a team, if you are in the, as a team member or if you're a team leader, one must have a culture where everybody feel inclusive, that they can, they should have a freedom to come forward with an idea. So this one, it start from the inclusive culture where everybody feel like their voice matters, their idea matters. The second step, once you bring the idea, with any idea, especially whether it's a formed idea or it could be unformed idea, right? Think big and don't start rationalizing it. And I'll, I'll break it down what I mean, especially if coming from the engineering background, there's every idea comes with its constraints, right? And then whenever you're trying to build something, you start thinking about what are the things go fine, what other things would go wrong. And I had I had this tendency where I started rationalizing the idea early enough. So, but the ideas are like baby; they need nurture, conditioning, right? You don't start pinpointing the loopholes that <laughs> that this can go wrong or this can go wrong. And there are so many what if scenarios. So, I think in order to imagine future, you have to focus on what are the value it can bring to the customers, right? I strongly believe that it has to solve the customer problem or the, it just cannot be an idea where you have a great innovation, great technology, and then you say, okay, we'll feed up, figure out a market fit or product fit later on. It has to have meet the customer challenges that they're facing. Don't start rationalizing the idea at the beginning, uh, maybe certain maturity stage, later stages, and let the idea, you can usually write down your idea because I think once you write down, you start ideas, your ideas start getting distilled and much more clear. You also bring more clarity and then you can share it, collaborate with others because then the idea can take a life of its own. When the others start reviewing it, start adding their own input, they start building on your idea. And then in this highly team collaborative environment, let the idea grow and then see where you want to take it in solving the real customer challenges. Thank you. Kunal, I have one clarifying question. Please, please go ahead. So when you're talking about big ideas and not questioning them, you mean think about the risks, but still, if you believe in it, share it. Or you're just, can you clarify that part for me? So when I say it does has, like when you think about the ideas, right, and how it can solve the real problem, which is being faced by your customer, at the same time, you should also, you can identify a risk, right? And you can rank them. And then you can see, okay, once you write down, first you acknowledge the risk, you write down. I think that itself is a very good beginning point. You don't have to solve those risks. You don't have to mitigate that risk at this point in time. I agree. Great clarification. Thank you, Kunal. All right, Sumaya, it's time for concluding thoughts. 
<laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for teaching me today about effectuation. I didn't know about it, but I love it. It's one other framework to have in my toolbox. And the reason why all these frameworks are important to me, not because I believe in one over the other, but I believe certain situations are more appropriate for one versus the other. And so now I have a name for something that I wasn't aware had a name. So thank you so much for that. And just one last thought around frameworks. We talked about effectuation. I talk a lot about UCD or user-centered design and lean agile and, and all of that. I just want to reiterate that the best product managers, you know, pick the one that works for them, but the greatest ones are the ones that know what to use for the right situation, the right problem, and the right team. Because I think all those factors can change how you get to uh, work on that recipe. Sometimes you have a gas stove and sometimes you don't. <laughs> Jeff, yes. we used the food the recipe thing to death today. <laughs> yes, and we did some effectuation here today. And uh, it was a, at least an enjoyable conversation for me, which has to count for something. So Sumeya, thank you for effectuating and coming up with some great insights with uh, the conversation we decided to have here today. And I want to let everybody know that we are off for two weeks. And then we return, sadly, without Red on July 12th. But uh, we will have a VP of Product Management, Networking, and Security from Meraki. I, hopefully I pronounced that right. Did I pronounce that right? M-E-R-A-K-I? Anybody know how to pronounce I that? I think one? so. Right. Okay. Is it, is it owned by Cisco? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we'll have Matt here on July 12th. I'm taking off next week for my daughter's birthday. She turns nine. So if Please wish Audrey happy birthday. And then I'm off the next week because it's the 4th of July holiday for all of us. And then also my anniversary is the following day and I've got to gear up. I'm telling you now more than you need to know. But every year I make a video for my wife of what we did the year before. And so I have to wrap that up, gearing up for that. That's way too much. Wow. Can we edit that out early? First of all... Your like Facebook, whatever year in review thing is you that they took the feature based on Jeff. And then the second thing is we know the answers to your secret questions for your passwords. I think. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Every password is, is my anniversary and my, my second daughter's birthday. <laughs> no, it is not. But good call. That that would be bad if it were. The whole world would be hacking my, my account. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Red, does that go in the final version for all this year? Do we oh. backtrack? Oh, it stays. <laughs> <laughs> Red I, might I have laryngitis, but <laughs> he's on it. But he, sa he says it stays. I love, too, that as we're talking about our next show, July 12th, with the networking and security VP, that uh, Sumeya is like, you just gave away your password to everything. <laughs> Speaking of security. But no, those are not my passwords. And... Speaking of passwords, total terrible transition to thank you all for listening. We are here normally every single week. We'll be back July 12th. This is, uh, again, Red and Sumeya have been tireless in sharing insights as they work with the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington to build a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. That future that we think exists, that will exist, is going to take all of us. So if you could volunteer with the Product Management Center, as Kunal has generously done and as Sumeya are doing here with this show, if you could volunteer or if you could just, again, make your, yourself more available to others and share what you've learned with that next generation, we would greatly appreciate it. So we'll see you July 12th. In the meantime, 
yeah, be nice to one another and consider volunteering with the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. <laughs>